It's such a treat whenever January comes around, even for the non-skiers among us. For one thing, we start to receive some of the bigger films of the previous year, either through AMC's Select Series or through the venerable Magic Lantern. For another, it's when the Spokane International Film Festival runs. Hi, I'm Dan Webster, and on this week's edition of Movies 101, I'll be joined by co-hosts Mary Pat Truthart and Nathan Weinbender, and together we'll consider two mainstream openings, David Cronenberg's A Dangerous Method and Steven Soderbergh's Haywire. Also, since we're near the end of this year's festival run, we'll both look at some of what SPIF 2012 has had to offer and preview the final couple of days. So don't touch that dial because all that is coming up next right here on Spokane Public Radio. The Movies 101 podcast is made possible by the members of Spokane Public Radio. Become a member at spokanepublicradio.org. Thanks for listening to Movies 101. Hi, I'm Dan Webster, film critic for Spokane Public Radio and blogger for Spokane7.com. And I'm Mary Pat Truthart, part-time film critic, full-time law professor at Gonzaga Law School. And I'm Nathan Weinbender, also film critic for Spokane Public Radio. And welcome to another edition of Movies 101, the weekly show bearing the name of a college undergraduate class, but without the jitters that come with midterm or final exams. And the only course prerequisite is a love of movies. So sit back and listen as Nathan explains the calculus involved in a roundhouse kick delivered by Gina Carano, star of Steven Soderbergh's action flick Haywire, and Mary Pat lectures us on the finer points of international jurisprudence as it applies to the burgeoning field of psychoanalysis explored in David Cronenberg's adaptation of Christopher Hampton's stage play, A Dangerous Method. I, then, will take the traditional liberal arts course and try to describe the poetic aspects of what I've experienced so far during the 14th annual Spokane International Film Festival, and what I hope for the final 36 or so hours. Let's start with the difficult material, which involves study of the human psyche, the two men most responsible for the science of what has come to be known as psychiatry, and the woman who both made her own contributions to the field and showed that even the experts aren't immune to the vast power of emotional fallibility. Mary Pat, the lectern is yours. Well, as you indicated to us, Dan, the original medium for this particular work was a stage play. And Cronenberg expands the tableau to the movie screen and tells us about a turn of the 20th century. The film begins in 1904 with a woman being brought against her will to a psychiatric facility. And Sabina, played by Kira Knightley, has been afflicted with some sort of madness, hysteria, uh, and so she is to receive treatment from a young doctor, Carl Jung. He's just beginning his practice in the psychoanalytic method that is just becoming more widespread, of course, perpetrated originally by Sigmund Freud. So he works in a one-on-one relationship with his young patient, And that's at least part of what's happening in A Dangerous Method. The other side of the story, and I guess the story actually has three sides, ultimately, is Jung's relationship with Freud. And Freud, in this film, is played by Viggo Mortensen. 
Young is played by Michael Fassbender, who seems to be in every film, and he'll be in Haywire that we're going to review later. At and we know he one. was in Shame uh, <laughs> that we reviewed last week. on mostly. Well, for the most part. <laughs> so I think this is an interesting choice for Cronenberg, who has had some of the most provocative films over the past several years, because he basically plays this one pretty straight. And there's a pretty straightforward presentation of these people's relationships with one another, about this burgeoning field, about ethics in the psychoanalytic process, about family uh, relationships, because at least part of what we see is the relationship between Jung and his wife and how that might affect uh, his professional persona as well. So I didn't know what to expect with this. We almost saw this film in Rome in Italian. I'm glad we didn't because I would have had no idea what was going on except for the beautiful Swiss uh, venues, uh, lake shots, for example, that we see in the film. I ended up enjoying the performances of the actors in A Dangerous Method, and I appreciate the fact that Cronenberg sort of pulled back, which is not always his way of being in the world. Yeah, I've always been really fascinated by Cronenberg as a director. He's made some very interesting choices lately, especially since he started off making these sort of B-horror films like The Brood and Videodrome Videodrome and Scanners with all the exploding heads in it. And now he's making this period piece with Michael Fassbender and Keira Knightley. I think it makes sense, though, in terms of the actual thematic material of A Dangerous Method, not so much the approach, because this doesn't resemble any David Cronenberg film that I've ever seen. Mm -mm. But he's always had this sort of antiseptic, almost clinical view of human sexuality, which I think we saw best in his movie Crash, which basically mixed eroticism and violence in a very strange, uneasy kind of way. Well, there was also Dead Ringers and those twin gynecologists. Well, and even there are even elements of that in uh, his last two films, History of Violence and Eastern Promises. So it makes sense that he would gravitate towards this material. But I found this movie to be really dry and uninteresting in in long patches. I don't know. It just, it didn't really do anything for me. I didn't think it did much justice to the contributions of these particular figures to the field of psychotherapy, especially the Kira Knightley character, uh, Sabina Spielrein, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. The most interesting character to me was actually the one played by Vincent Cassell, who shows up (laughs) for about five minutes, and his name is Otto Gross, and he was a fellow psychoanalysis that Jung himself actually tried to analyze and totally changed his views on the human mind and all of that sort of thing. I found his character really interesting because he comes out of nowhere right in the middle of this laced down narrative and just completely upends everything because he's basically insane. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think there was much flavor to this. I, it I, didn't really do anything for me. I probably liked it better than you did, Nathan, and I'm still not sure where you are on this film, Mary Pat. But um, well, let me point out one thing, augment something that Mary Pat said when she introduced the film. The idea originally came from a 1994 nonfiction book by a guy named John Kerr, and it was called A Most Dangerous Method. It was from that book that Hampton developed his stage play. Now, Cronenberg, it's not real clear whether he's just adapting the stage play uh, or, well, is, I mean, because Chris Ray Hampton wrote it. but It but is very stagey in parts. There are long scenes where exactly. it's two people sitting in a study But here's talking. the difference, and here's the point I want to make. What's the difference between a movie and a stage play? The difference, it's a rhetorical question, the difference is you're sitting there and as those actors are saying their lines, they're depending upon the effect that they give on you, the audience, and they feed off your energy and it's a symbiotic relationship that you don't get in film. 
I think that this movie misses that. It's a stage play author and director who's adapting into a movie. And so we fall into this kind of a netherworld. It's really interesting to look at. These are two of the more interesting actors working today, Viggo Mortensen and Michael Fassbender. And Kira Knightley's no slouch either. But I think what is missing here is that part of us that would respond to this kind of material, this sexuality, this troubling kind of blindness that both these guys who saw so much about the way the mind works, but could not really figure out how their own minds were working. I mean, here, here we have Freud is seen as this kind of a paranoid uh, Jewish, Jewish with a capital J, because he's afraid that because he is Jewish, that his ideas are never going to be taken seriously. And so that's one of the reasons why he likes Jung and why he's so fascinated in Jung's uh, interest in his yeah. work. And, exactly. and their relationship too, uh, Jung and Freud's relationship sort of devolves over the course of the film. I found that to be really interesting. And at the end, it's almost sort of childish. They're sort of trading exactly. jibes through letters. I found yeah. that to be really interesting. Right. The most interesting part of the film, actually. And I think it probably works a whole lot better on stage. That's, sure. that's, so, that's yeah, the case So what I'm I making. hear both of you saying is that a dangerous method doesn't invite us in as the audience. And maybe it's because, you know, Freud, for example, I mean, we have these cultural references where he, for the most part, more so than Jung, pervades some of our references. And we think we've moved so far beyond an understanding of human sexuality. Then we see shame and realize we have not. And so I think that that's the, the major failing here is we want to be a part of this or have, uh, you know, do more than be cool observers. Yeah. And, of and what maybe transpires. that was Cronenberg's intention, but I don't think it works here. The, it's the same problem that we had with Carnage, the Polanski film a couple weeks ago. There's just the electricity of a live performance is missing. And I think this material needs that in order to really sail. Okay, from the study of psychoanalysis, we enter the realm of kinesis, where biological organisms respond to stimuli. And in the case of haywire, those stimuli emanate from betrayal and involve violence, and the response includes flight and ultimately retribution. Nathan? Well, I don't want to analyze Haywire too much in terms of the plot because I think if I did, I would have some kind of aneurysm and we'd have to stop the show because it d doesn't really make any sense to me. So we'll just, we'll just do the bare bones here since this is a pretty bare bones film. There's a very simple storyline um, involving a covert operative named Mallory Kane. I love her name, by the way, Mallory Kane. And she's played by an MMA fighter named Gina Carano, who I've never seen. I don't know if she's done any acting before. It sure doesn't seem like she has. She's um, done some modeling. She's done some modeling, and she's done a lot of fighting, apparently. Oh, absolutely. She it. was a world-class Muay Thai fighter. Right. There you go. She's this covert operative for the secret government agency. Basically, she That's discovers- a private contracting agency that contracts right, with the government. Right. And if you've, seen, government. if you've seen the trailer for the movie, you know the basic gist of the plot, which is that she discovers that she's been double-crossed, yada, yada, yada. A lot of stuff happens. <laughs> McGuffin, McGuffin, it's it's McGuffin, McGuffin. Completely, right, right. completely preposterous. It's pretentious a lot of the time. It's directed by Steve. Steven Soderbergh, and it's muddled. It jumps all over the place. I really couldn't follow it in long stretches. But I have to say, I sort of admired Soderbergh's approach to this, and I think that Haywire is the case of a movie being elevated 
by the person that's making it. Because I thought this was actually a really, even though it, it's not one of Soderbergh's best films, we look at his canon after he supposedly retires in a couple of years. He's been saying he's going to retire for so long now. It's kind of an interesting distillation of all of the trademarks of his most recent films, sort of the long stationary takes, uh, lots of silencers, very little music, sort of this broken, jumbled narrative um, featuring this sort of amateur female actor. He did it with uh, Sasha Gray in that horrible film, The Girlfriend Experience, that he made. But he applies it to this basic action film structure where it's essentially a series of double crosses and, you know, mistaken identities and action sequences. And I was carried along even though I wasn't particularly moved or entranced by it. But I think it's a good job in terms of the way that it's put together. I agree that there are problems with Haywire. I mean, I, too, enjoyed watching it. And I I liked watching Gina Carano. I have mixed feelings about this whole movement of female characters sort of kicking ass and taking names. So I'm simultaneously fascinated and repulsed by it. And so that's part of the issue here. I mean, we have the women's Olympic boxing trials coming up in our own community in a couple weeks. Part of me says I should go. uh, And part of me says, oh, how horrific. But the one problem in this film is there are some decent actors in this film. I mean, Michael oh, yeah. Fassbender, as we said, Ewan McGregor. Um, Michael uh, Douglas and Tony yeah, Banderas. Right. So, I mean, it's interesting that you hardly notice them uh, because the film really is ultimately about action. And so your focal point is on her. You can't really figure out the plot. These guys sort of come in and out. Uh, We think that we're going to learn more about them and we never really do. And then the film ends very abruptly, setting up, I guess, Haywire uh, Due or something. I don't think that's going to happen. No, no, I don't think it's going to happen at all. The first thing I want to say is you're never going to convince me that movies that feature women kicking ass isn't at least partly about watching women get their ass kicked. I mean, I think that's, that everyone makes a big deal out of how Quentin Tarantino always has really strong women characters. We've, and we've every, argued about this And before. in every one of his movies, his women characters get their ass kicked at one way or they're humiliated or whatever. And I think that's part of what's going on in this film. But that isn't the real problem I had with Haywire. I had the same problem with Haywire that you did, Nathan, and that is that just parts of the story don't make any sense. No. The very first operation we've seen them doing on is dependent upon it said more than once, split-second timing. We have to get in and get out and get this guy out and everything and get him to the airport, blah, blah, blah. And right in the middle of that, right in the middle of it, after they've gotten this guy out, Gina Carano, who's running the operation, takes about seven minutes to run <laughs> through the streets to go and beat a guy up. And we don't even know. And it's just, it's stupid. It's out of a graphic novel. And what works in a graphic novel doesn't always work well in a screen. And that's not even really the main problem that just goes on and on and on and on and on. I think that this is a little bit of an entertainment haywire is. It's Steven Soderbergh, L-I-T-E, light. And uh, it is what it is. But it's not going to go down as one of the greatest Steven Soderbergh films ever made. I think we all agree on that. And so it's time to take a break. We've been discussing the recently released films Haywire and A Dangerous Method. We'll be right back to both review and preview what's left of the 2012 Spokane International Film Festival, which ends its run on Sunday. Remember, you can always catch podcasts of our show at SpokanePublicRadio.org. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, now the moment you've all been waiting for... The world-famous Jackrabbit Slim's Twist Contest. 
Now let's meet our first contestants here this evening. Young lady, what is your name? Mrs. Mia Wallace. And uh, how about your fella here? Vincent Vega. All right, let's see what you can do. Take it away. It was a teenage wedding and the old folks wished them well. You could see that Pierre did truly love the mademoiselle. And we're back. I'm Dan Webster, this week's host of Movies 101. I'm joined by Mary Pat Truthart and Nathan Weinbinder. And during this last half of the show, we're going to talk about one of our collective favorite winter experiences. And no, I don't mean anything having to do with slogging through snow. I mean spending time in darkened theaters, watching the varied selections presented by the Spokane International Film Festival. I want to begin by thanking the person most responsible for making sure the festival is a go, and I'm talking about Dr. Pete Porter, the Eastern Washington University professor whose volunteer efforts as festival director have made this, the 14th annual event, the best ever. Anyone who was at the Bing or the Garland a week ago to see and hear movie star Matthew Modine can tell you that. I'm not so sure that the Bing was sold out. In fact, I, I know it wasn't, but there were a lot of people there on Friday night to hear Modine talk with Jess Walter. And I can tell you for absolute fact that the Garland was sold out Saturday night when Modine showed up to answer questions before and after a screening of the 1985 filmed in Spokane wrestling saga Vision Quest. I can't remember the last time there was so much energy. And, you know, bringing Modine, who had his own film during the festival, Jesus Was a Commie, to the festival this time was just an amazing bit of pre-thinking by Dr. Porter because... As opposed to what we might think of most movie stars, he was generous with his time. He showed up at the Filmmakers Forum on Saturday. He showed up at the Shorts program. He was kind. He was generous to every other filmmaker. He is one of the best things that has happened to this festival so far. And, you know, Vision Quest is probably one of the more minor works in Matthew Modine's filmography. I mean, this is a guy... That, yeah, I mean, this is a guy that's worked with Stanley Kubrick and Robert Altman. Jonathan Demme and yeah, on and on and on. On and on, yes. yes. Some great filmmakers. And the fact that he's willing to come back to Spokane, Washington after probably... I'm sure he hasn't been here since they filmed the vision. He but, hasn't. He admitted he has not. Yeah, been I, I can't imagine him having any reason to come here. It's great to see someone of that stature coming to talk about a movie that they made when they were in their... He's probably, in, what, in his early 20s when he made that? He um, and he's so, willing to come yeah. back and talk with the people of the town who the, the movie means a lot more to us than it does to him, probably. No. I think that's great. And it's a great move for the festival, too. We haven't had anything like that here before. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to mention a couple of the films that screened at the festival last week that will actually be continuing at the Magic Lantern. And those films are Amador, The Sandman, and The Selling. And I think that each of these films, for very different reasons, is worth seeing, especially Amador. That's one of my favorite films of last year. It involves a young woman, and we alluded to this last week, who comes to work as a caretaker for a dying man. Uh, and then we find out through a confluence of circumstances how their relationship continues mm. even after his death. The Sandman is sort of a fantasy morality tale filmed in uh, Switzerland, and I won't tell you too much about it. However, uh, you know, I wasn't really sure a when German I started. German language romantic comedy. Yes, I think that's, that's all you okay. really have to uh, say. Yeah, I agree. That, that's <laughs> enough said. Sand in it. And then the, a lot of sand. Then the selling. 
is a haunted house yeah, story. It, this, the, the selling is filmed by Gabriel Diani and Etta Devine, filmed in, in Los Angeles, and it was brought up here. They came for the filmmakers' forum, and, and, and it, it is just a strange little imaginary take on the horror genre, which is very interesting. I want to point out one of the things that I wish somebody would put together would be a recreation of the World Shorts program that played during the first weekend of the film festival that include films such as Trish Harnito's You Should Be a Better Friend, David Lowry's Pioneer, which was a strange story about a guy explaining to his little boy exactly why his mom is no longer living. That was the weirdest film I've ever seen. I wanted to say one special thing about Modine's film, Jesus Was a Commie, that he wrote and co-directed and starred in is that it's a thoughtful look at the world as we live it today. And as he said to more than one audience, he's concerned about polarization, about Republicans versus Democrats and not being able to come together. And he, this is a meditation on his concerns. And I thought it was a very thoughtful, very thought-provoking short film. Well, and he said specifically that he would like a film such as this to show in the school setting, show in places where there's an opportunity to discuss it after the film screening. And it's a short film and it raises a lot of questions. I guess my only difficulty with it is that Matthew Modine plays this John Doe character and we see him in various venues in, in New York. And of course, as a celebrity, you're always walking a line between, you know, this anonymity as well as, uh, you know, using your celebrity, which she has a unique opportunity to do in this film, uh, but it's a balancing act. And the film that I brought back from Kosovo, Blair Zichiri's Kathimi, uh, plus also Jamie Cousin's, uh, or Jaime Cousin's A Balcony Affair, which was a really a poignant story about aging seniors getting together in a what looks like a, a housing project. I've seen shorts programs and festivals all over the year, and this was by far the best shorts program that I have ever and, seen. And that was seemed to be a pretty universal response from people who purposely chose to go there, from people who wandered in, but it was packed. Yes, it was. Um, and, and so I think that that's pretty notable. I would like to bring up, because he won't, uh, that there was a filmmaker forum that Dan mentioned uh, that he facilitated and moderated that was attended by many of these filmmakers from the festival, and there's going to be a filmmaker Forum Saturday beginning at 2 p.m. And that will include some of the filmmakers from the second week's presentations, including one of my favorite films, In the Family. Patrick Wang, who starred and directed in that particular film, will be at the forum. There's also uh, another showing of the film on Saturday night at 6.30 at the Magic Lantern. And we do have some choices to make this weekend, Adventures in Plimptoons. Which played already and plays Saturday at 4.30 and Sunday at 11.30 at the Little House of the Magic Lantern. We have Man Without a Cell Phone in his Rayleigh film that plays 6.15 Saturday at the Big House of the Magic Lantern. You've Been Trumped, which plays 8 o'clock at the AMC Saturday. And Inuk, which will be introduced by Gonzaga University's Raymond Reyes at 8.30 p.m. Saturday at the Magic Lantern. And don't forget, of course, we want to highlight and showcase the parties because there is a closing night party that will be at the Saranac Public House Saturday that uh, begins after the screening of Inuk. 
So in terms of getting tickets for the festival, what's the best way to go about doing that? You go to SpokaneFilmFestival.org. There you can find the schedule, you can find the tickets, you can find everything you need and descriptions of all the films. Plus, you'll find what has been added since the festival began, the Oscar-nominated animated feature Chico and Rita, directed by Tono Arando, which is going to play probably right in the middle of the Super Bowl, Sunday evening at 6.30 at the Magic Lantern. That's it for another edition of Movies 101. This week, we looked at two recently released films, Haywire and A Dangerous Method. And we opined on the various pleasures offered by the 2012 Spokane International Film Festival, which runs through Sunday. As always, we owe a debt of thanks to Patrick Claussen, who produces and engineers our show for Spokane Public Radio. And we thank you, too, our loyal listeners. You can email us with questions or comments at kpbx at kpbx.org. Join us next week when we'll tackle another slate of films for your listening pleasure. Oh, and we just might spring a pop quiz on you. Better bring your blue books just in case. <laughs>